and welcome to episode seven of Turnstiles and Tribulations. Chris and Chris are here. We're very happy to have you joining us and listening in with us. Um, today we're going to be talking about Manchester United game away at Old Trafford, which was played on Sunday. We're going to be talking about the Premier League in general and maybe diving into referees a little bit. And we'll, of course, be covering the Turnstiles and Tribulations Fantasy Premier League as well and see who has done what and where we're sitting in that table. So we visited Old Trafford. We ultimately lost the game 3-1. But overall, I thought we were the best team. I think that shows in the stats. The things that cost us, though, obviously are very fine moments, very fine actions. We weren't ruthless enough. Uh, Ramsdale mentioned it the other week at the Bournemouth game after that, that we've become more ruthless. Well, we haven't become ruthless enough just yet. I'm extremely proud of the way that they played and what we tried to do. But it was just moments and small actions and we were punished for it. And this was our first big test as such. I know Manu had a, a rocky start to um, the season and we did enjoy that as and when it was happening. And I did fear that this would be the case, that we would then go and lose to them because of this. But um, they do have some good players and put in the right mentality. They were able to do what they did to us. What, what are your thoughts on it? Because I'm a bit, frustrated i'm a bit dumbfounded by it that we did lose that game because of how well we did play what what for you and i'm sure we're going to get into refereeing but it can't solely be down to that because we conceded three goals so even if we'd been given one more still wouldn't have been enough it felt like a game that we've seen before it felt like a game that We've watched a lot over the last maybe even 20 years of Arsenal dominating the ball, being really good in build-up and not being efficient in the two boxes. We mentioned it last week and coming away with a a result that doesn't seem fair. feels like there's a little bit of injustice. feels like it was a big team against a small team feels like we've had that sort of performance against little teams before and we've had that performance against Man United definitely before where you have the ball and you create chances and you you don't score them and then up the other end there's a little mistake by a, a player or a player out of position or a United player does something out of nowhere that, that wins them the game and that was what it felt like to me. It felt like a bit of a throwback result or a throwback performance to feeling really proud, like you said, of the team, feeling like we've done the right things and we haven't got our reward from it. Um, I hate using the word luck because you're in control of what you do on the pitch, but it, it has got that feeling of we've been a little bit unlucky in the result and 3-1 doesn't tell the true story of the game and it doesn't show that the the dominance that we had, the chance that we created, the the possession that we had and the minimal it was it was there was a threat but a minimal threat that I felt from United um even in transition and even in the counter where they scored the two goals it it felt like those two were out 
outlier moments and those were um you use the word action there that, that Arteta uses those were little actions that we got wrong and we got punished for and United made loads of those actions and they weren't punished for them so like I say I hate using the word luck but it does feel like an unlucky result for us frustrating one did you feel that you, you mentioned there like you, we've seen that game before and I totally agree I was watching that thinking exactly that we've come to United and I've seen this game play out many times even last season we should have won the game last year and Ronaldo manages to go and pop two goals out of nothing and we are all over them and we end up losing 3-2 in that game and that for me was one of the most unjust defeats of our season more so than some of the others that got talked about the thing you mentioned though that we didn't punish them yet we played well I did feel throughout the game we although we were pressing although we were winning the ball in up high up the pitch although we were moving the ball around well and well is the right word we weren't doing it as well as we have been so far this season we haven't done it as well as the other games that we've watched you think about how Bournemouth how we were zipping the ball around for an entirety of that first half we did there seem to be 10% less in it for me in terms of our clinicalness our precision our tempo and that, for me, I feel is why we then ended up being behind the gun on the chances that we did get that we didn't take. Like you say, the, the times when United let us in and we could have punished them and we didn't. And and that, for me, I think is also on top of the singular actions that led to goals. Like you say, players going into tackles and, and stuff that we ended up losing. And it's hard to take because... We did try. We went there with the right mentality. And even Man United, in in some ways, I'll give them credit for at least trying to play us and not completely try and kick us and stuff like uh, Aston Villa did the other day, minus Scott McTominay, who's a little prick. The, the game should have ended differently for me, but it didn't. We did lose and we've got to take that on the chin and we've got to move on and we've got to learn from it. We've got to start with the biggest talking point of the entire game, the Martinelli disallowed goal. Do you want to run with this and let me just come in and lambast referees, or should I just go on a rant? Let's let's just focus on the foul, the the pressing, and what we do when we're chasing players back and recovering has got us some goals this season. The Martinelli one came from um, him chasing a player from behind, who's not really aware of where he is, robbing the ball. And then we uh, attack really well against Leicester. Fantastic. Yeah. And uh, this is a similar moment, right? The thing I like about it a lot is Odegaard's run comes from an angle that Ericsson can't see him. And the reason that Ericsson goes down is because he's not expecting Odegaard to press him from that side. He's looking ahead. I think it might be Sambi who's sort of in front of him. Um, and he's got to try and shield the ball from Sambi and try and move it to the right of him. And he doesn't have any sort of um, scan over his shoulders to see Odegaard. So as Odegaard comes in, he's already off balance because he's looking ahead and he's he's looking at the player ahead. And it's really easy then to lever him off the ball 
with a forearm and um, to take the ball and we attack and it's a fantastic finish from Martinelli. Now, before you get in and, and have a go at the referees, Paul Tierney is pretty close to it and makes the correct decision, right? He sees that there's very little contact. There's very little um, that has put Ericsson off and he lets the game carry on. Only then is he brought back to, to check it. And we've been told that the threshold for fouls have gone up, but over the last couple of game weeks in the Premier League, we've seen so many examples where um, it's been goalkeepers a lot, but where players have been getting really soft fouls and we're going back to how it was a few years ago, where if you make a little bit of contact on somebody, we're we're checking it, we're disallowing goals for it. And that's not what VAR should be for. It's not what the process should be for. It should be to cut out clear and obvious errors. And that is not a clear and obvious error. If in the moment, Paul Tierney blows for a foul and that ball never goes to Martinelli or it gets to Martinelli and then he blows for a foul, then we never see that goal go in. And we can be frustrated that it probably wasn't a foul but we don't have a sense of injustice and we're not robbed of a goal because there's a lot that happens. Well, there's a lot to do after that for Martinelli. It's not tapping afterwards. He then has to break into the space. He's got pressure from McTominay and he really, and he finishes really well. So for me, there's, there's a lot of problems with disallowing that goal. It's completely incorrect decision, but the VAR, um, process has hung Tierney out to dry because I think he's made the right decision by letting the play carry on in the first place. So you're saying then that because he's asked to look at it, he then feels under pressure from his colleagues to change it because of their opinion as to making him go and look and he hasn't been strong enough to say, no, I was right. Thanks for telling me and making me look, but no, I was right first time round. I think we've seen that. I think we've seen the first referee this week I think it was Michael Oliver who stuck to his decision even though he was told to go and check it um, that's the outlier at the moment for decisions normally if you're told to check VAR it's because you've done something wrong and I think referees are in in a mindset of these guys are looking at the video they've told me that and, and I trust them because they're, they're referees right they're not just VAR people they're referees who are sitting there doing it it was Lee Mason you said I think right I think it was I'm pretty sure it was so you you respect the decision of another referee, your colleague, who's telling you, I've watched this on video, you've got the decision wrong, or you need to go and have a look at the decision because you know, you, you, you've made an error and then you change it. And yeah, there has to be more referees who stick to the right, stick to the original decision if they think that they're right. And we we can't we can't be checking incidents like that in the build-up and thinking that that is an error by the referee. Because however you look at it, there's no way you can conclusively say that that's a foul. And that for me is the problem. The referee has made the decision and he has said that's not enough for a foul. And there is nothing in the video that tells me there is. And this is it, the... Coverage that I have here in Canada is the Premier League's coverage. So I was treated to Michael Owen and Paul Scholes and Jack Wilshire. So at least one person with their head screwed on right. But even Owen and Scholes 
embarrassedly said, yeah, that's not a foul. Owen thinks it was a little bit, but he was um, quick to say, but I think it may have been, but everyone else thinks it may not have been. And for that reason alone, it shouldn't have then been looked at because there's doubts over to which one. So the referee has made an original decision and should then stick to it. So he did believe that the action of taking the goal away was the incorrect one, even though he did believe it was a foul. Not one pundit seems to think it was a foul. I certainly don't. I don't think there'll be any other Arsenal fan out there that will. I'd bet you Christian Eriksen doesn't think it's a foul either. Like you say, he's caught out and was napping, has made the most of it, united around the ref, and the referees absolutely bottles it. Like you say, Michael Oliver's the only one so far this season that I've seen to stick with a decision when asked to look at something. And they had uh, Dermot Gallagher on as well on the Premier League coverage to talk about the decision. And I, I almost don't see the point in having him because at no point will he ever go against what the referees have done. It's a boys club and they stick together. It's like, oh yeah, you know, he's kicked him in the lay, in the in the thigh. No, if you actually look at it properly, Ericsson's in his action of moving. It's his thigh that comes out and touches Erdegaard and makes Erdegaard's move the other way. It's not one being kicked into the other. Minute details. But yeah, I was absolutely furious. Things were being flung in my living room. My phone roller got booted across the uh, the living room. The cat was pleased that she was in her cat tree and in her house and protected. And uh, I'm sure that the other people in the house that were sleeping quickly woke up to the noise of me screaming at the top of my lungs while I thought about the referees. It's, it is disgraceful and we'll come on to it maybe, well, we will come on to it later on that VAR is, I think a good thing. I just think it is clearly not being handled correctly. And this has been said year after year since it's been introduced but we're leaving it to referees and they're not managing to use it right. So what do we do? How do we move on from it? Because this weekend has seen a swathe of bad decisions, very bad decisions that have all used and gone to VAR. What what do we do? We're stuck with this broken system, which genuinely brings into question the validity of results in the Premier League. I think we're this weekend alone with the amount of bad decisions. So this isn't just an Arsenal fan upset at the decision in his game. This is me as a football fan who watched all nearly all of the other games and saw various decisions that either were changed or weren't looked at that should have been. And most of them were wrong. And this is fundamentally affecting the league and affecting the validity of results. What if... For example, I, I doubt it, but Newcastle wrongly had a goal disallowed as well. What if they got relegated by two points and that one goal, that one action would have seen them stay up? So many different ramifications can come from this. And the sorries, the PGMOL actually did come out yesterday or uh, or Sunday, that is, to say we got the West Ham decision wrong and we got the Newcastle decision wrong. It'd be interesting to see if they come out and say something about ours. I doubt it. 
I was shocked that they said anything about the others. But for me, it calls into question the, like I say, the validity of results and the integrity of the league. We genuinely were at that point. I know I've been against referees and how they referee us in particular. And Paul Tierney is no stranger to that. He who didn't give us a penalty for a barge in the penalty area last year against Crystal Palace in the game that we lost against them. And then he gave a penalty to Tottenham in the North London derby for a perceived barge that was probably 10 times softer on Harry Kane. Uh, So exactly the same kind of incidences, two very different uses of force. The one with more force didn't get the penalty, which would have helped us. The one without force from Rob Holding, which helped Tottenham, got the penalty. So, yeah, seriously, what what and how do we fix the refereeing? But we'll we'll come on to that in a bit. Rant paused for now. Paused. Uh, fair play to Martinelli. What a, what a run to hold off. It was Varane, I think, wasn't it, on, on that side as well, on the, on the left. And um, a very nice finish. That li- little chip over, because another thing that you know I get very upset about, is these tiny little goals that we use in training all the time and we just stroke it into these little goals and too many times it was we just roll it along the floor and especially against someone like De Gea who loves to use his feet. You can't just try and roll it into the post. You've got to get a bit of height on there and do something with it. And yeah, Martinelli, superb. You are absolutely flying. Please, uh, long may it continue. But it's disallowed. We continue to play. And by that point, the game had become, I would say, 65% in our favour. Would you call that fair? United did get at us. It, it felt like that was a moment that we used to sort of inspire us. It felt like that injustice that the team felt really spurred them on. Because like you said at the start, the first 10 minutes or so, we were having to deal with a little bit of United pressure. but. That was sort of twelve minutes in, and then from there, it's the the balance of the game changes. We feel more settled. We feel like that's one chance we've created. There will be more, and we start to really up our game. And I'm going to lead the praise again of Gabriel Jesus because I thought he bullied Varane and he bullied um, Lissandro Martinez for the whole of the first half. The ability he has to receive a ball with a defender behind him, whether that ball's in the air, whether that ball's on the floor, whether that ball's fired in at Jacka speed to Saka, he just brings them down with the softest of touches and he's able to get the ball under control, get his body in the way and spin people, draw fouls, just run out of pressure with ability I've not seen from many players of a huge size let alone somebody his size it's like having Akin Fenwar up front <laughs> I don't know how he makes himself so big and so strong but the amount of times we were sort of missing out our midfield to fire through from sort of defence whether it was Zinchenko to him or Gabriel firing it into him and he just brings it down and turns Varane who's Remember, this is a guy who's won Champions League three times in a row. He's six foot four, is one of the best defenders in the world. 
where he was before he went to Man United. And Lissandra Martinez, who who we've seen is a real fighter, if if anything. Um, he might not be great aerially, but he's somebody who, who wants to be in a little battle with you and he's got a nasty side. Just held them off. I thought it was huge in the way we were able to play, having somebody who's just so reliable receiving the ball and being able to play off of him. He's a scrapper. Like they talk about how, you know, he used to play street ball. Was it Sao Paulo he's from? And it reminds me a bit of some of the stuff from Dennis Burkamp's autobiography talking about playing football uh, on the streets when he was a kid. And kind of like in London with these concrete pitches within a cage and stuff that look quite menacing. And you had to fight like you were in a cage. And he is exactly that. He is very strong, very diminutive, but at the same time, so delicate. And yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to draw that comparison now. Someone like Burkamp, who is able to throw weight around yet be so delicate with the way that he brought the ball down and controlled it and what he did. Different style of play in, you know, Jesus obviously has that Samba style that Burkamp doesn't, but uh, it's, it's so thrilling to watch. And it was a shame that he wasn't able to apply it to the point of scoring us a goal. Cause I think that's probably what was necessary at this point with having a, a legitimate goal ruled out to settle us down and to send us on our way. Like that goal would have, if he'd have just been able to shimmy a ball here or shake a defender off there and get, I think there was one where he did get a quick snapshot off and you know if he'd have managed to get any of those in which he would have deserved then that could have set us on our way instead unfortunately it's the opposite it's uh it's a mistake at the back which we get punished for the ball is played in 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 between our midfield and defense and i think it's bruno fernandez who picks it up Gabri- gabriel decides I need to stop him from doing what he's going to do next because I'm worried about what he's going to do next. So he goes across, slides in, and doesn't win the challenge and doesn't foul him either, which then means Zinchenko feels compelled to come central, leaving all the space in the world for Anthony on his debut to score what was a good goal. The, The ball into him made it an easy shot for him. I was I saw some of the warm up and Anthony was taking shots and he was miles off and I was like, Oh, if this is what we've got, then we're gonna be fine. But that ball was played into him so well that he was able to open his body up and use his left foot instead of being forced to use his right, which may have changed things, it may not have. And uh and all of the good work that we'd done up until that point is then undone. And they immediately mentioned as well, and I'm sure we as Arsenal fans all thought it. Every time we've gone behind, we've had a quick response. Let's let right. Let's see. Let's go. The fans were absolutely giving it and, and right behind the boys as they have been all season. Didn't quite happen. We didn't get anything before the half. In my mind right now, the only other real chance I can think of is maybe the Saliba one that he doesn't get on target. Again, we're not really expecting him to score. And if he hadn't have scored that worldie against Bournemouth, we really wouldn't have expected him to score. But because he did score that worldie at Bournemouth, you're like, oh, 
But even as a Premier League defender, he should get that on target. He should trouble the keeper. Uh, what did we have any other real threats? In the first half, no. In the first half, I think we we built pressure. We had one where Saka flew past Malasia, their left back, cut the ball back, and uh, I don't think there was anybody in the box, so it didn't fall to the right player. Um, but yeah, we I felt like we were winning our battles. Our attackers were winning their battles. We were getting the better of defenders. Uh, Martinelli was causing Dallow problems, and Saka was was certainly winning his battle on on the right. Uh, but we didn't. We built pressure, but we didn't really create too many chances. We we got a lot of touches in the box, and it felt like we were in the right positions. But it felt like we were trying to find the right, the right moment to shoot. It wasn't just about we're in their third. Let's just get a shot shot away. It felt like a big team, like we've done against the um the smaller teams we've played so far, just probing and just trying to find the right position to get a shot that's of high value rather than just uh you know taking a a shot from anywhere. But I was very happy by half time that although we were one down, we were the better team. Um the only problem that I thought that we had and it it it's shown up in that goal a little bit is our ability to screen our defenders a little bit because it felt like Fernandez and uh, Rashford and Sancho, who, who were coming in quite narrow to receive the ball, had a lot of time to receive and turn and, and run at us. It's the cost of not having Thomas Partey and the amount of ground he's able to cover and, the, and his defensive responsibility and the attributes he has, his ability to work laterally and cover space is something you don't see too much of just because because he's doing it, players haven't got space and then passes aren't made into those areas. And the moment you take him out and you replace him with Sambi, who I thought played well on the ball again last like, like last week, but wasn't fantastic defensively, you start to see the gaps and you start to see that actually having one player covering all that space, they have to be a real specialist. They have to be of an absolute elite level and... Sambi's not quite there yet. He doesn't quite have that the mentality to do defensive work that Thomas does. Yeah, and uh, I yeah I agree with all of that. But then, are we naive uh, with Jacka, both from managing him and his own in-game decisions, to not see this and think? I'll sit a little bit more than I have been. I won't try too much like I have been in the last few games where I've been ending up in the six yard area or, you know, in attacking areas to squash those United moments, because we know that those are the dangerous players. We know what Man United are going to do. They've been a counter-attacking team for a long time. And going back to your point about we've seen this game before, we absolutely have. We've been hit so many times by not just United, but other teams as well that, allow us to come onto them. And I think that sometimes this is a game plan of the better teams, that they actually allow us to come onto them so that we push up high up the pitch and then they're like, they'll take their chance on winning the ball back and springing the trap. And I feel like they did that three times. And because they did it three times and they had the confidence to get the finish, you know, that's that's what put us to the sword and, and meant we have to 
to swallow our first loss of the season. So yeah, where was Arteta naive? Should he have said, should he have in-game managed that and said, all right, Granite, sit a little bit so that you can help protect? Or even with Zinchenko, because Zinchenko got in there a fair bit because Granite was pushing up. So was Zinchenko fully fit? Is that a question? I don't know. Again, I'm not blaming the result on that, whether he was or wasn't. Same with Odegaard or or anyone else. The uh, the fitness issue is is also something that might have affected those. Um, look, we we we're a team who stick to our principles, right? And Arteta's very stubborn in the fact that he wants to play a certain way. We have really aggressive positions. I thought Ben White was higher up the field than we've ever seen him. Um, as a right back, I thought he managed to combine with Saka, and that actually helped the the right side of the pitch a little bit more. Whether he's getting more confident in going forward, but he was overlapping a lot. The, their their first goal comes from the fact that Sambi is is pressing Ericsson at, at that moment, and I mean, only Arteta will know whether he should have been doing that, whether that was his job in the moment. But it felt right. It felt like something that Thomas would have done: stepped out of position to go and press him and try and win the ball up because he might have been the closest player and somebody else has to be a little bit narrow and just not leave the the gap. I think it was Martinelli who was dropped a little bit deep at that point um, and we shouldn't really allow that pass to come through. But if this is the style that we're going to play in against all teams, then so be it. We just have to do this more efficiently. That's the way that I think Arteta will look at it. It will be this is the game plan that works. We just have to be better at it. And the moments that we've let ourselves down and not followed out the game plan in the correct style and not been in the right positions, we will try and correct um, rather than maybe drop a second player deep and not press as much and allow Man United to have more time or Ericsson more time on the ball there. Um, you double down and you know you try and win it off off of him up there. This probably takes us through to to our goal. Yes, second half it was all us, and that was when I really thought, okay, here we go. We are pushing the ball around really nicely now. Like I say, I felt we were missing maybe that ten percent of really like being on it, and we had that, you know, special source. For that period of time, we we looked good after the uh, break. All Arsenal, we win the ball up the field. You know, we've a new thing that we're doing more often and is really helping our game. Erdegaard does yet again a really nice little shift of his weight, allow the ball to roll across him from left to right so that he can play a nice ball down the middle and split the uh, the defence the the ball obviously rolls back out quite nicely to um to Saka and whereas on the game against Villa on the week on Wednesday he didn't show the composure to slot home he did this time through the legs of the defender and we get a goal that we absolutely deserve and that they can't take away from us finally um and it was really really good to see I felt we all, uh, as always, we would want to see another goal quickly. It's better than getting to 90 minutes and scoring, but uh, obviously I would have taken that as well. I just really felt we needed to compound our dominance on United at that point because 
at any moment they could go and do what they'd done earlier spring a decent pass forward and Sancho or Rashford could make a run Anthony was done by halftime I wasn't worried about him clearly uh, you know it is it is a huge difference playing on the continent to playing in the Premier League and uh, he, he wasn't ready for 90 minutes nowhere near but uh, Sancho's on a been on a good run just recently and I, I think Rashford is a good player he's just been bereft of confidence for the last little while so yeah without jumping ahead uh we'll we'll stick with our goal and did you have anything on top of that did you think anything else in particular i I was just really pleased that we got the goal quite quickly and like i say saka finally got on the score sheet for the season with a really composed finish because you could see uh and we have seen him even this season maybe fluff his lines in that position it was due a goal and I, I, he was in the right position to pounce on that ball as it as it came out. But yeah, the, the pressure to, to win the ball is fantastic. Odegaard's pass is sublime through the middle and um, it's actually a really good tackle from, uh, I think it's Martinez who's who's next to Jesus just to take it off of his toes, um, like you said, and then, and then Saka finish as well. And it felt at that point like we were a team who could go on and win it. And that's what I was thinking at that point. When that goal goes in, I'm thinking, well, we've been the better team. We've well-deserved this goal. And there's still half an hour of the game left. I fancy us to go and push on here. And this could be United's heads drop because that they feel like they've been maybe lucky to stay in the game for a little bit. We had that sense of injustice and we've got a goal from it now and we can really push on. And... um you know, try and break and, and get something else from it. Um, but it's only a few minutes later when it when it goes wrong, I guess. What for you is the biggest reason as to why it's gone wrong and to then what happens? Because for me, when we touched on it before, that Sambi was pressuring Ericsson, but because the ball gets through to Fernandez, we're then hooped because we're only using one person to kind of cover that space with the way that we're playing. Yeah. Is it is it just the fact that, you know, we are deep into our squad using him as as many attributes and things that he's doing well that we like and we know he will probably come on to be a better player. He just isn't quite the demonstrative midfield general yet, obviously, which is fair enough. He's still young. Is it just that one thing or were there other factors for you yeah the the second goal it comes from Sambi's positional error but it's because he's building in confidence during the game and he, he was building in confidence in the last game it's the same in this on the ball he's he's growing into games massively and I think this is a game that he felt like he was having a little bit more of an impact on he felt like he was making a difference and it comes from him and Zinchenko having a little one-two. There's a sort of backhill pass that's quite dangerous that Ronaldo nearly intercepts. And then Sambi sort of um, dribbles towards the sideline and he plays a left-footed ball down the down the line and it's not as accurate as it needs to be. And the moment that ball's turned over and he's out of position and Zinchenko's out of position, it just allows quality players to make good passes quickly. 
and the ball comes to Ericsson, he plays it first time into Fernandez and Fernandez takes two touches and, and puts Rashford in and it's two one. It's as it's as efficient as that. It's clever players in the moment realising that there's huge gaps and that they can play into them. And we just get caught out by that moment. The the decision you want Sambi to make at that point is as he's playing the one two of Zinchenko to just lay it off to to Gabriel and and just find a new angle because it's a forced pass and it doesn't need to be in that moment. You don't need to play the pass that he makes. Um, by vacating the position he's in, it just puts us in danger. And it's, I think, it's partly experience. It's not a ball that you'd see Thomas Partey play. He wouldn't have been in that. He wouldn't have been so close to the touchline on the left playing a left-footed pass. But his confidence is a player who's who's enjoying himself in the team, I think. Yeah, and for the most part, I think he had a good game. It's just these one or two actions and we were punished. The frustrating part for me is, you know, this Man United team had absolutely nothing in the first couple of games that they played to have found that ruthlessness or clinical instances of passing. Like it's, it's frustrating that they've gone and found it now and have been able to switch it on and, and do such a big U-turn. And one of the big reasons why, as much as I enjoyed and will continue to enjoy the fact we are top of the league, and that shouldn't be uh, forgotten either, or as disappointing and as annoying as this result is, we are still top of the table. Still very, very early. You know, It's only a few games into the season. But if you ask me at any point of the season, where would you rather be? Of course, we're always going to say top. So, uh, yeah, I think for me, the frustration that we were punished so harshly by a team that didn't look like they could produce anything like that in the last couple of weeks is what's uh, it's what's made this one as frustrating as it was. So that second goal goes in, and by that point, uh, just furious with how this game is turning out and what's going on and how it's playing out on the pitch. We make some changes I think about the 70th minute we we make some changes we bring three players on we bring Smith Rowe Fabio Vieira and of course Eddie and funny enough that's why I've forgotten him because Eddie really didn't do anything this time around he had some good cameos off the bench in the last couple of games and, and did some good things he didn't really touch the ball apart from one instance in the box bringing it down and then getting um fairly knocked over that that for me is just that's the physicality of football i'm fine with that the other substitutions though do you think we needed them at that time do you think that there's there's the players that we had out there were likely to pull us back in are there were there fitness concerns that we had to take off as inchenko and and other players like that to protect them because they were going into the reds what what was your thought on the substitutions? Yeah, the the substitutions destroy the structure, and the and and the structure is everything with us. So bringing those players on it just means that you've got players out of position. You've got players who are trying to fill their way into the game, and you know I I can't remember how many seconds it is, but it's a minute. It's a minute and a half before that goal goes in, um, and the game's dead. So that you know the the subs become pointless in a sense, but. Um, I don't know that the fitness concerns of the players. 
we knew that Zinchenko and Odegaard had taken or weren't 100% fit during the week um, for different reasons. Maybe it was they could only do 70, 75 minutes and um, the long-term fitness of them is more important than the short-term. The the slight issue I have with it is that I said last week about Fabio Vieira, we probably won't see him. And you said, well, you, we might need to because of injury concerns. It's a difficult game to throw somebody into. Um, and it's the same with Smith Rowe. They haven't played any minutes and they haven't played any minutes out of choice, really, because Arteta's not given them much game time and he's had chances. Mm-hmm. Um, I know games have been tight, but we've played lesser oppositions and we've had moments where we could have rested and we could have rotated and we could have used the five subs a little bit better. At the same time, I don't want to make this about substitutions and I, I, I don't want to get too deep into whether it was a right decision and and whether that cost us the game. Because on the other hand, if you make those changes and you go attacking and you've got fresh legs and they can press more and you can win the ball, brilliant, and it, and it goes the right way. But uh, the goal happens so quickly after substitutions that it's hard to know what impact they would have had if it would have been another five minutes just for them to get a feel of the game, just to get to get some touches on the ball. And they didn't get that. And then at 3-1, it's a completely different game because Man United just, just shut down. Fred's on the pitch at that point. I think they make another change or two and um, they sit back and it's then really difficult to try and break them down and um, the game's over. I think you're right that you know, because we concede so quickly after they come on, it, it then nullifies the point of what we might have been trying to do with them. I do personally think that we had the uh, fitness concerns was behind them. Uh, the the I think that probably both Zinchenko and Erdegaard played longer than they might have been prescribed to because of the situation we were in. I think if we're winning 2-1 after 60 minutes that they both might be coming off you know around that 60 65 minute mark. The one you know nice thing from the substitutions was that Fabio Vieira looks like a guy who wants to get on the ball and have a shot. He had a couple of opportunities where he he, he brought the ball down and tried to try to get it on goal straight away which was nice and Fingers crossed we see a, a fair bit more of that in in the future. But uh yeah, three three one the game the game was gone at that point. I didn't have the it's a lie. Cause even in the ninetieth minute, I'm like, God, if we just nicked one now and then we've got five minutes of added time, you never know. But that's the eternal optimist in me. But uh I think my head knew the game was done. But my heart my heart never gives up. And never will it. Of course, of course. So, I mean, how does it how does it make you feel now? We're we're six games in, we're top of the league, but we have just lost to Man United. Um, what's your overall feelings on not just generally the start of the season, but but that that game as well? My feeling is that the start of the season has been fantastic. My feeling is that being top of the table is bloody brilliant we haven't been top of the table for an extended period of time you know we might have done it here or there in the last couple of years in the early part of the season you know after two three games and then we don't get anywhere near the top of the the league you know the fact that we've led it from the start like we have is 
It's bloody nice. It reminds me of uh, years gone by. The way that we've lost this game highlights to me uh, any team, any team, even the very best of teams, you know, still need to learn. And this is a side that we still need to remember is still a very young team. Yes, they went through a lot last year. They nearly got over the line in terms of qualifying for the Champions League and they learned a lot from the heartache of missing out. And they have used a lot of that pain and that mentality. And I think that's what has poured into this year and uh, couple that with the new signings. And we have had a fantastic start of the season. I think that because we still played very well, like I say, maybe 10% off where we needed to be to have gotten the goals because goals win games. And if we're not getting the ball on target, we're not going to win. Simple as that, especially if we're making mistakes like we did. But I, I'm happy. I, I'm still happy and I'm still very positive. We've still got... uh Quite. We've got a couple more games in an international break, I think. Yeah, that's right. We play uh, Everton at home in the league next, and then it's Brentford away. They're the two next. They're the, they're the Premier League games. Now, the one thing about this Premier League season so far as well is the first couple of weeks we saw a bunch of different results happening. And already from three or four weeks ago saying that we're playing Everton, that fixture has changed slightly. They're still not that good. They did well enough on the weekend, you know, to not lose the derby that they played in. I think we should brush them aside still, but you you never know. You you still never know. Brentford away, you know, that's, that's looking like it could be a tasty game. I mean, we owe them. I feel that uh, Arteta will be doing that all or nothing bit and reminding them of what happened last year, even though so many of the, the players that will be playing this year weren't in that game last year. But what about Thomas Frank? Is Thomas Frank going to get the clip of Arteta on All of Nothing showing Ivan Tony's tweet and put that video up? Well, this is it. It's a, it's an infinite loop of these things happening, right? It, you, the team talks are going to be four hours long because we once said this about them and then they said that in return. And so like, can you imagine like what the game against Wolves is going to be like when we, when we have them and they're going to be doing the same thing, like with the, the back and forth of all the different things. So I'm not worried about those games all of a sudden because we've gone and lost. I'm more considering what could happen in those games because though Brentford certainly are up and running uh, and Everton have improved from the really bad that they were. So I'm still very positive and I always think we're going to win and I want to go into every game thinking that. But there is a part of me at the same time that's like, you know, already we need to just really knuckle down now. If I suppose the other thing is, in my mind, am I thinking that we're challenging for the title? Do Right now, in my mind, we're sitting top. So I'm like, well, why, why shouldn't we? But already we've got teams that have had horrific starts that are now in the top five. So a lot can happen still, uh, even in the next 
few weeks after the international break before the World Cup happens. A lot could still happen by then and we could be in a very different position. I hope not. And then we're back to, oh, we just want to make sure we're top four. But for right now, my mentality is like, well, I want to stay where we are. That's very unrealistic. I do know that. But I want to stay there because we're there. Why, why can't we? It's a very interesting way of feeling. And I wonder if other Arsenal fans are feeling it. How are you putting your feelings together on the first six games of the season and what is happening and how the league is taking shape? Difficult one, isn't it? Because after a loss, you you feel that frustration. You're down a little bit disappointed about the result of the game, but at the same time, the performance and the performance of the first six games puts us in a position where we're really proud of what we're doing. And I certainly believe that we've set up in the right way. And I believe these sort of players can do something special. There's nothing about that Man United result that makes me think that we've gone back a step. I feel like that was an outlier and those moments were things that can happen over the course of a season. You can drop points in certain places that you don't deserve to. You can concede goals at certain times that affect game state and it makes it difficult for you to get back into things. And fundamentally, we're still away at Old Trafford. <laughs> you know, it's where whatever whatever season it is, it's going to be a difficult game and United are going to be up for it. So losing at Old Trafford, um, if we were to go to some of the other big away games and struggle to get points or struggle to get results in those games, that's not going to define our season of getting back in the Champions League. It might define our season of winning the league, but like you say, I don't think that was our hope for the season. Well, hope for the season, yes, but I don't think that was our real realistic ambition for the season. Um, but while we're in it, you know, let's let's keep the let's keep it going for as long as possible. And while we're while we're up the top, I think having a good start means you can drag yourself along. And if if there comes a point where City do go ahead of us, it would be great to drag ourselves back ahead of them um, if we play after them or something like that. Yeah, and stay in the fight for as long as possible. What what you never want to be is the team who are looking up at City on 15 points when you've got nine after six games or something and then you're forever just seeing them pull further and further away because that feels like you're just never in the fight and never in the battle but it feels to me like we're we're in the fight six games in and those two games that we've got next are going to be big because last season we let one defeat become three too often and we've got to make sure that that Everton game is a is a fresh start for us, and I think that's a nice game at home. I think Everton are terrible. You you've heard my my thoughts on Frank Lampard. I thought Jordan Pickford was, I mean, man in the match is an understatement in that game. They allow so many shots. Liverpool hit the post two or three times. They hit the crossbar. There's a little bit of luck and it's a derby that they've got up for. I don't see us having a problem um, creating against them. I think my comments on, you know, like having that ever so slight air of caution still just is born from 
what we've seen from Arsenal in the past, when we know after five minutes of a game that we're just not in the right mindset to play this game or or perform well in it. And I just I just hope that that doesn't happen. And I think at the minute, to be honest, playing at home, we are up for absolutely anything because of the what we're building there with the fan engagement, how everyone who's going to the game is feeling about it. I mean, years ago when you and I were going regularly, I remember like fights breaking out with the fans, you know, because one person has an opinion like this and one person has a, and genuine arguments and animosity towards our own fans and the people around us. And I hated it. I hated it. Yet you go every week because that's what we do as a fan. And in some ways I'm bitter that I'm now missing out on what has flourished into a very good atmosphere, a very good feeling watching from afar uh, and I haven't had the opportunity to get down to the Vancouver Supporters Club yet, but uh, the, and even they've been flourishing. I've, I've been seeing that they've been packing out the, uh, the the pub that we go to for that. So I am looking forward to getting down and getting involved and being around other Arsenal fans, not just uh, watching at home and kicking my phone roller around. But uh, I'm just very excited. I think you you said it really well. We can't let one loss turn into three and I think that although we didn't show the ruthlessness to go out and win this game against United and we've seen that record play before I think what will be different is the response I think we won't let that uh, one defeat become three I think we will absolutely come flying out of the traps uh, against Everton and hopefully give them an utter hiding fingers crossed we do obviously have a Europa League game midweek as well. You'd expect that that will be, if not a fully different eleven. I uh, I can't see really anyone that started the game at Old Trafford playing in that game. Can you? No, we'll see. I'm sure we'll see Turner get his first start. That'll be interesting to see what style of goalkeeper he is and whether he can do the plan out from the back because. I'm guessing that we'll have a lot of the ball against Zurich. Tierney, I'm sure, will play uh, on the left. I'm hoping that we see Vieira and Nketia and Marquinhos from the start. It'd um, be good to get a look at look at those guys. Um, the midfield is a slight issue, right? Because we're probably going to need Sambi to play or um, or Granite to play and, and be part of that three because we don't have so many options in that area of the pitch. But We'll see what the rotated squad is like. We'll see how many of the younger players go, whether any of the under-21s get, get called up and um, get get a run out, maybe Matt Smith or something like that. But um, it's it's going to be uh, an interesting couple of weeks to see how we recover from this, what, what if any, damage this has done psychologically to the team. But I think we'll be strong enough to realise that we've done things right and we keep going the same way. So that pretty much wraps up the... Uh... The action that we saw from Old Trafford and we've covered in length, obviously, how we've played, what went down. And I think cathartically, I want to just dispel, I was going to continue my rant. I know I paused my rant on VAR and referees, but uh, I'm just going to let it go for now. And I'll let it resurface next weekend when it's the same old shit again. But for now, I'm just going to let it go. We'll move on. We are going to launch into chatting about the Turnstiles and Tribulations Fantasy Premier League. 
And alongside that, we'll be discussing the weekend's action because that obviously has an effect on how the people that we've been picking for our teams have done. So stick with us. We're going to take a very quick break and we'll be back in a moment to see who the winners and losers are in this week's Fantasy Premier League. Thanks for being with us here on Turnstiles and Tribulations. We're going to start chatting about Fantasy Premier League. I'm watching Chris now. He's just opened the app. Right. It's been a better week for me this week. I feel like I made some changes that were positive and have had a positive effect. The big one being that uh, Ivan Tony came into my team yes. and uh, obviously got a fantastic hat-trick. It was a very good hat-trick. Free kick was really good, top corner. Um, the penalty was the first one, right? And then that lob, the third goal, um, where he just sort of drifts it over the defender's heads was was fantastic. So I was I was cheering that as the goal's winning. And he nearly got a fourth with another free kick that only just went over, I think. Yeah, did he hit, did he hit the crossbar or just, just touch the bar or something? Um, so I was really happy with that. He even... I don't know if you if you're aware, but he even bantered people on Twitter like he does. Um, he even bantered people with uh, for all of those who took me out of the FPL team. How'd you like me now? Uh, because he was he was one of the most transferred out players. Right, that's um, that's surprising actually. Maybe I'm just going against the grain. Thinking outside the box, you got. I mean, you've got to do something right to drag yourself up the league. I made Salah my captain. Well, I've sort of doubled down on Salah. Because I just feel like at some point he's going to come good and they'll end up getting 20 goals. It might be in a condensed space. It might be in one game. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And the season might be over at that point. But I just thought, I just think everybody's going to have Haaland after his two hat-tricks. So let's go against that because there's no gain to be made. I think you mentioned that before about having some differential players. Um, and the more people who get rid of Salah, the more he becomes a bit of a differential, I guess. So, um, yeah, I, I went for him and he obviously didn't pay off. Well, did you see the Liverpool game? I saw enough of it to see right. him miss chances. Do you want to look at my team quickly? And then I'll uh, then I'll kind of come in on this. So, yeah, you, you've captained him. You've got Jesus, who's the most owned ever uh, player in fantasy history. Uh, because of his very good price point and the knowledge that he's going to be playing number nine through the middle for us. Uh, The talk is now Haaland is probably the player you have to have because of his returns already. Ten goals in six games is incredible. And even if he is dropped, even if he is rotated, you'd back him in 10 minutes to be able to score one or two goals. Um, So hopefully you've got my side up by now. And you'll notice that there's a player missing. You've you've dropped Salah. I've gotten rid of him. And I've threatened it for the last couple of weeks. I have not wildcarded. I spent four points. I had two transfers in the bank and uh, I spent four points. He's just not been doing it. And I totally get your reasoning of, oh, he's got to come good at some point. And a lot of people are following your train of thought. I just... I'll stick with him because he he will get a goal or he will get an assist and he will. 
Like he did it the uh, midweek game. He got two assists. I do think though, you watch him and he's uh, that Liverpool is just not playing well. They look unwell at the moment. They don't look like they're doing, they, they don't look like they're able to function properly, which is really weird. And so my thinking was, I take Salah out. I redistribute his wealth. I brought Bernardo Silva in and I brought Pascal Gross in and I was able to bring Mitrovic in. Again, another, like that front three that I've now got, Mitrovic, Jesus and Haaland, many people will have that front three. Uh, some may have Tony instead of Mitrovic. Some may even have Darwin Nunes now that he's come back from his suspension. And he's a player I'm interested in as well. But I thought, sod it. I'm sick of him being in the team and not doing enough for me. The other trend this year, which is breaking the FPL trend from the last couple of years, are defenders being our big point scorers. Teams are scoring. There aren't many clean sheets happening at the moment in the Premier League. Uh, and you look at teams like Liverpool that you would bank on a return if Alexander-Arnold didn't get an attacking return, that he's going to come up with a clean sheet at least. Same goes for Chelsea with Rhys James. You would think that if he doesn't have some sort of attacking return by being a part of a goal or scoring one, he will get a clean sheet because Chelsea are meant to be a good team. And even the same with City. All of my defenders did nothing. And me being the smart guy that I am, bench Trippier, who was my highest scoring defender. So that was frustrating. But yes, I've made these changes and I spent the points. And the reason why I've done it now, I wanted to see what happens now that the transfer window is closed. See how all these new players are going to be played. Europe obviously starts this week. See who gets rotated in and out, what that looks like. And if this move doesn't pay off, yeah, I've spent four points. But if it doesn't pay off, I've still got my wild card to use in two weeks. And if Salah goes and starts scoring now, if he does what you're hoping he does, I can bring him back in. He'll probably cost me less than he did uh, anyway at the beginning because he's probably dropped in value maybe finally. But um, it was a very middling game for Fantasy Premier League this year, uh, this week. Top scorer was Rashford with his... Two goals against us, uh, one assist as well. Tony came in second with his seventeen points, uh, with with his hat trick. And um, funny enough, there's another player who then comes in in third, and I can't remember who it is now. But uh, someone who plays in the Premiership scored the third best amount of points. But if you look across our league, what have we got here? Sixty five is the highest. And the lowest is 34 points. Um, Brennan Haggy. Uh, special shout out and special mention to Gemma McDonald, who has finally moved a little bit further away from the foot of the table. She's in 10th uh, and there are 12 players in this current league. So good on you. Michael Hinton had a good week at the top, stretched out his lead a little bit. Little Darves has made a move. Scoring a few more points than than I did. One more than you. The mid-bottom of the table has stayed relatively the same. Although you are now 25, 30 points off of where I am. So that's still all to play for. So 
if your captain pick of Salah does do something crazy, if he scores three goals and three assists in one game, you'll you'll probably catch me. So very much like the actual Premier League, it's all still very tight. Anyone can be anywhere within the next few weeks. With you and the side that you've got going on at the moment right now, any changes or are you happy now? Let's see what happens for a couple of weeks. What are you thinking? Um, it's always interesting because you've got to look at the fixtures, right? There's a few big games next week that um, will affect a lot of people's teams. City are at home to, to Spurs. So you've got, you know, the chance to back Harlan to score goals and the fact that it's going to, you know, mean so much that, you know, they're going to down Spurs as well. So I'll probably have to go for Harland as captain for that one. Um, it might have to be the, the boy back in or, or one of the City midfielders possibly. Um, and then you've got a London derby for for Chelsea um, who are in that early game that week. And then... Who have they got? They've got Fulham. Oh, yeah. Yep. Um, and then you've got um, Liverpool at home to Wolves and Wolves are really struggling. So, it, you know, things can change so quickly, I think, in the in the league and it sort of depends what fixtures you've got. So I'm looking at those and thinking that um, Salah or Haaland will be most people's pick for uh, captain, definitely. You you would think so. And there's no real reason to pick anybody else right now based on form. The Chelsea game will be an interesting one because they are so hit and miss right now. Sterling is a player I had my eye on as soon as he moved to Chelsea because I figured he would probably be playing through the middle. We'll see what happens now with Aubameyang being there and how that all shakes out. But playing Fulham, who, as they kind of proved this weekend, although I only watched the highlights of the the Tottenham-Fulham game and all that the producers of that highlight package decided to put together was all Tottenham. Every chance was Tottenham. You would think that Fulham didn't get down the other end at all. And maybe they didn't. But uh, Mitrovic did manage to score still to stop a clean sheet. You'd think that he's going to get a goal against Chelsea. Whether Chelsea win or lose, that's almost a coin toss right now. They, they went and lost to Southampton. They shouldn't have beaten West Ham in what was another absolutely bullshit VAR decision. So Rhys James is a risk especially in a team like what I've picked at the moment when I've got three players on the bench that could all score me points. I've now, although I've gone and redistributed the Salah money, whereas Salah was always, you've got to have him on the field, I've now got three players that I've got to try and weigh up. Oh, will Mitrovic score? So should I take James out? Oh, but will James get an attacking return? So I'm going to be scratching my head for the next week. Um, For just general tips on the game for people to know about a few price rises. Martinelli is now up to six and a half million. So if you do want to get him in, I would do it now. Uh, He will probably be worth seven million within another four or five weeks, the way that he's been playing. Um, Rashford, he's another one who's gone up to 6.4 after dropping from 6.5 originally. He could be, if Man United are turning around, someone to get in. Would you have Rashford in? I've not seen enough from Rashford um, to think that his form has, has come back. I thought he was really struggling the first few weeks of the season. 
Um, and yeah, two goals against us on the counter has not done enough for me to to buy into Man United quite yet. So I'm just looking at a couple of the other teams. So looking at Gemma's team, she was brave and she bought Anthony in uh, and captained him. I must admit, I did think about bringing Anthony in because I was thinking if he does score against us, which is possible, you know, it's that sod's law, at least I'll benefit in fantasy from it. I uh, I sometimes do that when we play Tottenham, that I, in the past, I have brought Harry Kane in just for that game, hoping to curse him so that he doesn't do anything against us. But if he does score, at least I get fantasy points. Um, begrudgingly, I'll accept them. But uh, yeah, she also had Rashford. I think she's had Rashford in for a while and, you know, he's done well. She's a United fan, so she's going to have enjoyed uh, the weekend's results. Yeah, she's she's changed her team about a bit. She's got the same front three as many others. Uh, who else is doing stuff? Well, we've got a new uh, JT's Boys. I think that's a new uh, team. So welcome to the league, JT's Boys. John Topping, nice to have you. Let's have a look at what Juventus has done. Uh, no real differences there. Captain Salah, same small-minded mentality as you on that one. Just, you know, sticking with the uh, Arsene Wenger way of things towards the end of the career. Like, like, keep doing the same thing and expect a different result. No, I'll be I'll be rotating the captain a little bit, but um, I think Salah's going to stay in my team until the end, certainly. I think other general notes at the moment for teams and players to stay away from. I think Leicester are clearly a side that you don't want any of their players, really. They're not doing uh, anything anything fantastic. Oh, do you know what? It's just occurred to me who the number three uh, point scorer was in the league this weekend. Dominic Solanke of Bournemouth. He scored the third amount of... Mo- yeah, he scored the third most points for any player in FPL this weekend. So... Who would have thought that? I think, did you even jokingly say get Bournemouth players last week? Pretty sure you did. You, yeah, you said back Bournemouth players. So funny enough, if you'd have actually followed through with your own advice, you might have done well. Yeah, that's what comes from just saying um, hot takes to try and get some interaction, engagement, and uh, not actually believing the stuff that you, you say. Um, what, I, what I will say about Leicester now, I've just had a look at their next few fixtures and I fancy them to get some points here and to sort of get themselves out of the trouble that they've got themselves into because they, they play Villa next. Um, obviously, Gerard's struggling there. Then they've got uh, the easy trip to London, to uh, sorry, to Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. Um, then they've got Forest and Bournemouth. So, you know, it could be all different for, for Leicester if they get a few wins there and drag themselves up the table. All of a sudden, things might be looking good for them. Um, so maybe you'll see um, a Leicester player or a Leicester striker in my team for next week. Maybe Tony will be gone and uh, you might see Pats and Dakar or something like that. Do it. I, I I think you should absolutely do it. Triple captain him while you're there. Oh God, I'm saving that for, for Jesus. Yeah, you are for the Tottenham game. Um, I think the long and short of it, the summary is that it wasn't a very high point scoring weekend in general. There aren't, too many teams and players out there who are going to have 80 plus points like we have done in the last couple of weeks and uh the league is still reasonably tight there's uh seven you know 80 points in it really from people in contention maybe a hundred 
if someone really pulls an amazing triple captain differential out of the bag, if like a Nottingham Forest reserve defender comes on and scores a hat trick in 10 minutes and someone's triple captained them, then that will obviously go down great. But uh, still a lot to play for. Obviously, there's still a lot for you and I to play for. We've got that forfeit that whoever loses out of you and I will have to do. We're still waiting for some uh, good ideas on what to do with that. So do get in touch on any of our social media. All the links are in our show notes. If you want to join the uh, Fantasy League we've got going, again, the link to just click that and you'll automatically join if you've already got a team in FPL and you can uh, be in on the fun and see how you go. Any other pearls of wisdom before we uh, sign off? Um, no other business. Just um, just to say that you know we we keep going and we try and stay positive. I'm I'm looking forward to the midweek game. I'm looking forward to seeing some of the um, players who haven't had as much action. And uh, yeah, fingers crossed that we can be having a great chat about that midweek and uh, a good performance and, and three points against Zurich. Sounds good. Yeah, fingers crossed we can start off the uh, European campaign with a solid win and. Uh roll that goodwill and good feeling into the game at the Emirates on the weekend. Thanks for being with us again as we talk about Arsenal, talk about Fantasy Premier League, talk about bad refereeing, talk about all sorts of nonsense. We appreciate that you've uh, put the time and effort in to uh, allow us to be a part of your day. We hope that you can share us with other people, maybe pass us on to friends of yours that you think would also get a kick out of what we talk about or fellow like-minded people or not. They don't have to be Arsenal fans even or even agree with the things that we say, but um, do feel free to share us. Do feel free to interact with us on our social media channels. All of the links are in the show notes to, to find us on there. Talk to us about what you like, what you don't like. Tell us what forfeits uh, you suggest for Chris and I for the end of the Fantasy Premier League season. Um, And yeah, like I say, we're just really glad that you're here with us and we hope that you continue to listen. Chris, did you want to say anything to the lovely boys and girls? No, just um, let's let's stick with it. Um, We've got that midweek game against Zurich. Uh, I'm looking forward to to chatting to you about that one, hopefully after a, a big win over on the continent, back in back in Europe and, and seeing some of these players who are on the fringes get some first-team action. So, fingers crossed we're talking about Fabio Vieira and Marquinhos and how great they are and what impact they can have for the rest of the season for us. Up the Arsenal, my friend. I'm calling it now 3-0 to the Arsenal. Okay, I'd 100% take that. Lovely, job done. We'll speak to you again soon.